I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is The Rich Eisen Show. Fresh off a breakup. And I know you. Though it was important this morning that uh, you preferred to speak over the phone with Tom when he delivered the new CD. Yeah, that, yeah, no, that's not true. Live from The Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. Trump can't go back in here and lose this game now. Yeah, he proved that he's won by winning the Super Bowl. That was then. Now, now, now. Today's guests, author of the new book, It's Better to Be Feared, Seth Wickersham, Pro Football Hall of Famer, Calvin Johnson, lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan. And now, it's Rich Eisen. Okay, everybody, welcome to this Thursday edition of the Rich Eisen Show. There is a lot going on in the sports world, no question about it. And to get ready for this huge weekend, I have a fresh cut. You bet I do. It's looking (laughs) tight. Even Susie said I'm looking good, so I'm feeling good right now, man. This is great. Good day in the neighborhood, man. All right. Just trying to paint the word picture of my head to everybody listening. I just said those words. Wow. Good to see you, Chris Brockman, hey, my Rich. bald brotherhood good friend. How are you? you? Mike Del Tufo, good to see you. Good to see you, Rich. Ah, TJ Jefferson. Hello, sir. Hey, Rich, I feel like my dreadlocks are really popping today. They're yeah. long and they're just out. In, words you know, I've never at. said, but you are not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it all the way from over here, sir. Great to see you, as always. Pleasure, sir. Uh, we got a- good, Billy Ray. Oh, thank Billy you. Well, wow. I had no idea we were, <laughs> no idea we're doing me. trading places <laughs> drops. I, I honestly thought, did somebody's phone just go off? <laughs> Welcome to this edition of the Rich Eisen Show. Tom Brady is speaking today. I have just received confirmation from my good buddy Birch on hey, the NFL Birch. Network desk. Say hi to Birch. Um, he's, uh, he's talking. Uh, top of hour number two, when Calvin Johnson joins us, is when the media availability begins. Nobody knows. He could be first up. He could be last. We'll see. They might run an okie doke. By the way, Gronk. Let's hear from Gronk. Oh, man, nobody's, Gronk's getting scot-free here, man. I know. He's getting off scot-free. By the way, yeah. and just to pick nits, he actually kind of did the Pats dirty he, when he left. He did not leave like, on the best of terms there. That's correct. Brock, did, did you not. say the pick nits instead of the nitpick? I like By the that. Way, I like the no, way you did He's that. picking stuff up. I like that. that. So Brady's talking today, and Calvin Johnson's on the show. This should be like, I wish this was uh, Festivus, because there's lots of airing agreements <laughs> with teams and teams that he used to Man, play. A lot of problems with you people. Oh, Calvin Johnson got his Hall of Fame ring uh, in front of uh, all the fans there in Detroit, so does that mean everything's copacetic? Yeah, did they scratch the check? I don't think they scratched the 1.6 mil, no. A lot of booing from the fans directed towards the owners. Again, could you, that is that, I, I, I can't wait to kind of get, so he retires, and they say, pay us back the bonus? Whatever the prorated, what's left? Yeah, you know, like Andrew Luck leaves, and and Jim Irsay is like building him a a presidential library. Yeah, like keep the thirty mil, you know, Andrew. (laughs) Yeah. Well, at any rate, Calvin's joining us. He's got his football life coming up on uh, on Friday's show, and then just I imagine, you know, Billy Corgan's got to be pissed at somebody. I mean, the photograph that we have up there, he does look angry all the time. The (laughs) lead singer and songwriter from Smashing Pumpkins and. 
He uh, now owns the uh, National Wrestling Alliance mm-hmm. NWA, and he bless him. He he came on the show to talk about the NWA a couple of weeks ago, and we enjoyed it so much. And he's like, "I'll call back." We're like, "I think he's just calling back just to talk sports." And it's a big sports weekend, and it starts tonight. By the way, Jacksonville and uh, and Cincinnati. Get excited, Rich. No, I'm, look, man, and I'm I'm not selling soap here just because it's an NFL Network exclusive game and it's the only place you could see it is on NFL Network and Colleen Wolf and the rest of my colleagues begin Ooh. at 6 o'clock Eastern time. You know what I mean? Like, it just, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm not just selling soap here. He's not doing that, Chris. No, because Urban Meyer's back in the state of Ohio. Urban's coming home. He would like his first career professional win to come in the state of Ohio and the bar's been set very low in terms of Ohio State reunions and getting uh, getting getting back in the state of Ohio after Justin Fields. You take a look, by the way, at Justin Fields. He's the second most sacked quarterback in the NFL through three weeks, and he's only started one game. And he's only had a cup of coffee, a little bit of sprinkling in, in the other two. He's been nine, sacked 11 times. Nine will help that. Nine will help. Last That's week. a shame. So, but seeing Jacksonville tonight, it'll be Trevor Lawrence's first nationally televised game since his last game at Clemson. And, uh, boy, that would behoove the Jaguars to get on the board. That would be nice. Cincinnati, at home, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have connected in every single game. And uh, Joe Mixon's running the ball like his hair's on fire. And we got ourselves an opportunity to see a Bengals team take a lead, albeit it could be, you know, short-lived, but take a lead of sole possession of first place in the AFC North. At three and one. How about them apples? I like those. Apples. And it's entirely possible that we see that tonight. Unless Jacksonville could somehow, some way, put something together. And with the Ravens and Browns also at two and one, and both of those teams on the road, the Ravens taking on one of the two remaining undefeated teams in the entire conference at Denver, always a very difficult place to go and win, no matter what. Certainly, even if the other team is. You know, 0-3, let alone being 3-0 and as they are. And then the Browns are at Minnesota, which I told you, do not sleep on them. That could be a, a very difficult game for the Browns to win. With everybody skull clapping over their heads. I mean, this is a big night for Cincinnati. How did I do selling tonight's Thursday Night Football game? Pretty good, Rich. There's an Iron I mean, Rich and Eisen, but I'm a team player. We're all watching. Of course we're all watching. Are you kidding Guys, I'm going against my number not one of my fantasy football rules. I'm starting Joe Burrow on a Thursday night tonight. Whoa! Uh, over who? Over Russell Wilson. Whew. By the way, I'm so glad way, that Jay Feller is somehow under sedation. No, no, he's my, watching. He texted oh, us. Uh, Jason, that's the guy who's got your team while you're seven-hour <laughs> surgery yesterday yeah. for our buddy Jay. Uh, he's hitting the morphine drip, right. watching the show today. <laughs> you're a TJ saying I'm benching Russell Wilson for. Hey, bro, that he's playing Jacksonville. Okay, like play the matchups. Why don't you? That's what I'm doing. <laughs> And, of course, we all know, uh, despite the fact that the Rams are taking on the Arizona Cardinals in the battle of 3-0s and O's, um, in the NFC West, playing each other just up the road in SoFi, and the fact that the Carolina Panthers, other than those two teams, are the only other, is the only other remaining undefeated team um, in the NFC. That Carolina Panther team is playing the varsity, to use the phrase that T.J. Jefferson likes to use when he refers to his Dallas Cowboys despite the fact that we are going to see those games on the docket, along with Russell Wilson visiting San Francisco as the NFC West begins to play one of their little round robin right there, and Pittsburgh with 
their season, you know, nearing um, that DEFCON 1, visiting Green Bay in the late window, even though those are some of the games you got the Chiefs at 1-2 and two, taking on the Eagles at 1-2, and two, even though those are all out there, we know there's really only one game on the schedule that everybody's talking about, and that is, of course, the Jets hosting the Titans. Wait a minute. <laughs> I've been told Tom Brady is returning to Foxborough on NBC. I'm actually worried, Rich, that Jets-Titans might be closer. Then, then, then okay. Pat's box. All right, well, you can be alone with those thoughts whenever <laughs> you want. That's fine. No one else thinks that like this is going to be a blowout on Sunday night? Yeah, this isn't going to be I, Again, we're we're forgetting so much. We're we're lost in the in the in the the fact that Brady is on the level of Jordan of wanting revenge and using every bit yeah, to fire and fuel a fire and it burns bright and we're forgetting that Belichick is a totally similar animal in his own right and the the way that he talks in front of the media might make us think he is not and all you got to do is just read Seth Wickersham's book, It's Better to Be Feared, and the fact that Belichick was the one who has put together some of the greatest game plans in the history of game planning. I just, you just got to figure out. I'm just looking you at the figure rosters. Out. I, I like, get it. You're looking like at just rosters. Just looking at the rosters and I, the talent level of the two teams, and it's not even close. I think it'll be, it'll, it'll be a Buccaneers win. And I don't think it's going to be the red wedding that that Curran is saying it's going to be. You don't think it's going to be like forty-five to no. seventeen or no. something? I don't yeah. think it's going to be similar to what the maybe the Saints did to Brady on Sunday Night Football last year in Brady's house, which is maybe the lowest point of Brady's yeah. tenure in Tampa last year, and thus obviously including this year his entire tenure in Tampa. I just don't feel that's the way I'm feeling right now. Okay, I'm feeling that, the opposite. <laughs> I know. That that there's yeah. that there's a pride level as well on the other side, and that they love their quarterback as well. And I know that the the Bucks have the better team, the better roster, the better quarterback, and the better everything. Yeah. Um. I just won't sleep on the fact that there's got to be of anybody who's ever game planned against the quarterback. There's nobody better than Belichick. There might be some as good. There's nobody better than him. And he's never game planned against a quarterback that he knows better in his entire Hall of Fame career than Brady on Sunday night. And that 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 front that hasn't gotten a lot of pressure better start getting some pressure. And it can go downhill fast. I I, I hear you. Hmm. And then of course you know you're also referring to the bad blood and the fact that Brady has it, and um, and the fact that winning somewhere else. And winning it all somewhere else is enough to basically spike the football. But now he truly wants to throw to the guy who also used to be there who spikes the football harder than any other human being. And they want to figuratively and literally spike the football. And the general sense of that comes from this book called It's Better to Be Feared by Seth Wickersham. And this book is coming out in the middle of next month, October 16th to be exact. And uh, I received an advanced copy, and uh, I passed it along to you, Chris. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it is nothing but a page turner. Yeah. 
It is a page turner. I couldn't put it down. Because it is all about the blanks being filled in. The Mad Lib's been written. Okay, we all know we all know the subject matter and we all assume Brady and Belichick were not seeing eye to eye towards the end of his tenure and maybe earlier than that and what it was like to keep the marriage going, the 20-year marriage that wound up with six championships and an owner who hired the guy and then wanted the kid to stay and now the kid's a grown-ass man wanting to have his own say and the coach wouldn't do it and we're just wondering some of the details and this book fills them all in, at least so far. I mean, I haven't gotten to the part where Jimmy Garoppolo's potentially departed because that might be deep into the book. But boy, is it something else. And... ESPN, you know, um, is Seth Wickersham's main employer. And an article came out yesterday with so many bullet points about what this book is has got going on and what it's saying. And Wickersham is about to begin his book tour now. And um, he's chosen us to start it. And I couldn't be more excited about that. And we're going to take a break. And we're going to get Seth Wickersham on the phone. Because I have questions for Seth. <laughs> yes. And then Calvin Johnson will join us. And then Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins. And then I would love for you all sit back and enjoy what I'm about to question Seth Wickersham about. His book is remarkable. It's called, again, It's Better to Be Feared. And that is next right here on this edition of The Rich Eisen Show. Buckle up. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people. Or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets at the Rich Eisen Show. And every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it. And then the all-in prices, that's my favorite feature. The all-in prices makes sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs all in before you purchase so all the guesswork is removed when you buy playoff tickets with game time download the game time app create an account and use my code rich for $20 off your first purchase terms apply visit gametime.co for restrictions again create an account redeem my code r-i-c-h for $20 off your first purchase download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed what does a bye week look like for you, Tom? What are you doing? I don't know. I don't know what we have planned. I'm, I'm going to try to get ahead on any. That's what I'm going to try to do. Okay. It's not a lot of uh, 
you get a little bit of sleeping in, a little rest. Are you able to sleep in with young kids, though, Tom? Are you able to do that with daylight savings and all that sort of business? No, not much at all. Yeah. They're, they're up at 6 o'clock today That's changing wrong. diapers, so it's, it's, it's still a uh, early morning for me, but... Um, there's nothing like it. There's, you know, there's nothing like winning a game and coming home and having your kids there and uh, just wrestling with them and waking them up in the morning. So, well, I don't know. If, um, yeah, I don't know if you have a little more time to do that this week. Yeah, you do. I don't, but I don't know if you're aware. Um, you know, obviously Gronk was playing great. You were playing great against Denver, but as you were playing that game, my kids were baking uh, Patriots sugar cookies, Tom. <laughs> And, you know, Cooper and Zan were wearing Brady jerseys throughout the whole year. That might have been some of the wind beneath your wings on Sunday, Tom. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. So how did, how did the sugar cookies turn out? Well, they, they, they turned out pretty well. Uh, they, they can travel if you want. I mean, um, Coop, and, Coop and Zan, you know, would give you the shout out in that regard. It doesn't get any better now. I have enough sugar in my house. Believe me, we don't need any more <laughs> imported sugar. They were yeah, bouncing off the walls in the, every drawer in the house. They were bouncing off the walls in the fourth quarter. Come to think about it, Tom, uh, that was uh, that might not have been a very wise choice towards the end of that. Um, yeah, so, it's so, to be expected. Yeah. So, um, last question for you, Tom. I, I mean, what what would another Super Bowl championship do for you? Just you. Tom Brady, the player who was drafted 199th overall, won three very quickly. What would it do for you here this stage of your career? Well, it's a great question. I, I think when we, when we won earlier in my career, I didn't quite realize how hard it was to win it. You know, we've we've been there two other times and not closed the deal, and it's just a it's a it's a very very hard thing to do. And I didn't quite realize that at the end of the 2004 season. And I think 10 years later, with a lot of reflection, I realized how hard it is and how much I appreciate what we did accomplish. And then if we were ever to do it again, which I sure hope we are, then uh, you know how much I would continue to appreciate it because that's why we play. That's why we. You know, that's why we work hard. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we work hard. That's why we play with pain. That's why you go through the whole conditioning program and training camp is to is is for that one goal. And you know, anything short of that is, uh, you know, based on my experience, is uh, it leaves a lot to be desired. And that would be great to be able to finally close one out if we ever get that opportunity. That was the second show we ever did as a simulcast in November of 2014. 844-204-RICH, number to dial. Thrilled to have here on this program the author of the book everybody's talking about right now and everybody should go get when it comes out. Uh, and it is going to be out next month. It is none other than the uh, It's Better to Be Fielder is the name of this book. And the author, Seth Wickersham, kind enough to join us right here on The Rich Eisen Show is one of his first interviews on his book tour of the book to be published October 12th. How are you, Seth Wickersham? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm you know, really quick, yes. it's really interesting to listen to that interview because, um, you know, I know that we'll talk about some of the more kind of buzzworthy things about the book, but one of my favorite chapters in the book is actually from that exact time when Tom Brady was in his mid-30s, you know, his fame had exploded. He's got young kids. They had reached this kind of highest plateau where they just couldn't quite close it in the Super Bowl. And, you know, he was looking to improve by 
percentages of a percentage point, things that only he would see so that they could get over the top and get back to winning Super Bowls. And um, it, it's just one of my favorite you know, chapters in the book where I, I, I write a lot about where Brady was in his life at that point. And at one point in the book, I was at his apartment, and um, we were talking in his living room, and someone walked into the living room, and who would it be? Alex Guerrero. And Alex Guerrero was you know, one of the key people who helped Tom you know, get that little bit better so that he could get back to winning Super Bowls. Yeah, you're referring to his trainer, and then you're yeah. also referring to an interview we just played uh, in our Peacock and Sirius XM only segment from day two of this show being a simulcast of November 5th, 2014, when Brady uh, only had uh, three Super Bowl championships. That's it. That's all he had. <laughs> right? And now here he has seven coming home, and then in the middle of the, the homecoming that's coming up, uh, or his old home, uh, returning to where he once belonged, um, to use the get back Beatles phrase, um, your book uh, and the excerpts coming out. So let's get into some of this stuff right here. O- overall, th- this book, for anyone who knows, it's not just about the, the departure. It-, it starts when, this book? When did you first start to uh, report on stuff? How far back are you going here in this book, Seth? Yeah, I mean, I go back to, you know, Bill Belichick's, you, you know, coaching career, you know, before he was with the Patriots, and I go back to Tom Brady's, you know, childhood in, in San Mateo. And, you know, my goal with the book was to try to get at as best as I, as thoroughly and as accurately and as best I could, how these two men became so great. And then another part of it was like, what, what were the costs of that greatness? You know, what were the things, that, what are the sacrifices that they make that might end up lingering longer um, because of what they wanted to achieve? And so, you know, I, I went back as far as I felt like I needed to, to try to answer those questions as best as I could. Well, I mean, and, and just for those who are going to get it, and I can't, um, I can't endorse it any harder than just not only having you on the show, but just uh, again, starting to read it last night, it, it just sucked me straight in. Certainly in the in the prologue, which was the the night of Brady's final game and the the sure. wild card uh, round loss to Vrabel of all people in the Tennessee Titans. It, it's just uh, it it fills in a lot of blanks um, here, um, and I, I want to kind of go on one by one here mm-hmm. uh, of what we saw yesterday in the ESPN piece and pull a little bit out of you. Certainly, since mm-hmm. Belichick has already said it's quote unquote not true that um that that he called brady or only would get on the phone with brady to say farewell at the quarterback's behest wanting to meet personally what what Mm -hmm. what about that exchange seth no i'm happy to talk about that i mean i appreciate what what coach belichick said i i stand by what i wrote and you know, the anecdote is really about Tom. And, you know, it's well documented that the night that he told Robert Kraft that he was leaving, that he spoke to Bill by the phone. And he wanted to, he visited Robert Kraft in person, and he and he he wanted to visit Belichick in person. And Belichick was just unavailable. And there was no, I don't know why he was unavailable. And so that's why, um, you know, I think it's more of an anecdote about Tom, where, you know, I think that Tom wanted to see him, but when you look at that decision that he made, and obviously he's making that decision because of decisions to leave the Patriots, because of the decisions that Bill Belichick made, um, he later told a friend that night that you know he thought it was telling of the state of their relationship. Um, you know that they ended up talking on the phone. 
good conversation, by the way, but that it was in the phone, on the phone and not in person. And so it's entirely possible that Belichick was either out of town or, you know what I'm saying? Like, is it feasible that there literally was no way for him to meet Brady, even though the sensibility would be, you know, you move things around. It's not like he was sitting there catching up on billions or something like that. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) Which is a good show. I agree. Um, but, yeah, and you, but again, it was about how Tom sort of took it and what he told one of his best friends that night um, about about how it had transpired. Okay, um, another uh, item that leaps out at me for sure um, is the fact that um, we found out through your book that Malcolm Butler did not play in Super Bowl Fifty Two because he and Matt Patricia. Um, got into an argument and Belichick just basically said, uh, that's it. You're, you're, you're going to play, but not play. I mean, what, what, what's this situation behind all that, Seth? Yeah. I mean, so obviously, you know, Malcolm Butler's, um, you know, benching in that Super Bowl has remained a mystery and, you know, I did my best to try to look at what happened. And, you know, I think that, you know, after the, his, his unbelievable interception against the Seahawks, um, you know, just things hadn't been quite right between him and the Patriots. You know, he, had, you know, remember he was late for his first OTA after that, and there was a stare down with Belichick, and the in, the, the NFLPA actually had to intervene. And then you, you know, some of the coaches I think they felt like that Butler had gotten a little bit too big. There was a contract dispute, didn't play great against the Falcons in the Super Bowl, and you know, even Butler's admitted that, you know, when in the practices, he got sick right before they played the Eagles in the Super Bowl and um, was hospitalized. And then when he came to practice, he's, you know, he's publicly admitted that he wasn't like as locked in as, uh, you know, he should have been. And I think that, you know, the New England coaches can forgive a lot of sins, but you know, not being locked in before a Super Bowl, I think is, is one of those that was unforgivable. And, so, you know, Butler and Matt Patricia, who was the defensive coordinator at the time, you know, had a couple of exchanges at practice. And, um, you know, he, he learned that, you know, he was essentially, see that he was benched and that, you know, his time as a Patriot was essentially over. And um, at, the, uh, super, at, the, at the team party after they lost to the Eagles, you know, he was deeply hurt and, um, you know, knew that his time in New England was over. And, you know, when, when teammates were asking him, like, what had happened, you know, he, he had some choice words. And they're words that I can't I know that. repeat on your on your show. I know. And they're they all in the book. Um, but any sense as to why Belichick still dressed him? I mean, yeah, what's that's that all question. about? I don't know why he was dressed for the game. I mean, obviously that game plan, you know, they were having problems on defense. That's well documented. And, you know, I have some, some discussions between the coaches at halftime about defensive adjustments that they needed to make in that game. I still don't know why, you know, given the way that they were getting chewed up um, on defense, um, you know, why they wouldn't even give him a look. <laughs> Seth Wickersham, author of It's Better to Be Feared here on The Rich Eisen Show, going through some of the bullet points that we have already learned from his book. Um, and uh, and let's keep going on for some of these as well. Uh, Brady, went, you, you found out that Brady would have left, uh, forced away to Los Angeles had there been a Los Angeles team um, oh, so earlier? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, he had some, uh, you know, in the middle of the dynasty run, you know, there was a, there was a, 
Which That's one? Difficult. <laughs> well, yeah, right? I, mean, it's, I feel like it lasted 20 years, but in the middle of it, when they were, you know, going back to what I was referring to before, they were in that kind of plateau, where they had plateaued at this incredibly high level, but it was still a plateau. And, you know, Tom had a contentious contract negotiation during that time, and that was during a time, you know, he was a newlywed, and he was a young father, and he was spending a lot more time out in L.A., and, you know, there are people who close to him who just think that, like, you know, if there had been a team at that time in L.A., this contract dispute had gotten so contentious that maybe he would have tried to, to force a trade there. Now, would he have ever done that? I, I, I don't know for sure. It was just what the people closest to him, his family members, speculated. And, um, you, know, you know, but they, they obviously pulled through this. And then you have the 2007 season, and that's where things really got difficult because – they had just won their fifth Super Bowl together, and I think that Tom wanted to be treated a little bit differently than he had during you know, his previous unprecedented run. So then let's get just dive into that here. Uh, why would Belichick not – because I saw Bill you know, up close and personal at the NFL 100 all-time sure. team show again, and that's the closest I've ever – most I've ever been around the man um, in, in one sitting for a day and a half. And he was fully, uh, um, you know, open about his time with Belichick, I mean, with, with Parcells and then everywhere he's been and admitting that you treat players differently at a certain level and how, you know, Parcells once told him, you know, after he ref- told Bill that uh, he that Lawrence Taylor was late to a meeting and he told Parcells this and Parcells' response was, well, why'd you start it without him? So, you know, why would Belichick never make these changes? Or would he say, um, even if maybe on background, you know, hey, I, I did make a lot of stuff. We did do a lot of stuff for Tom. I did make a lot of exceptions for Tom. Like, where's, what's the disconnect if there is one at all on that it's subject? definitely line? a disconnect. And I actually have a great anecdote um, in the book about Bill Belichick, Eric Mangini, and Ty Law, where, where Bill Belichick gives Eric Mangini that same speech that Parcells gave um, Belichick back in the day. Um, but, you know, look, I mean, I, I wrote a lot about this at the time, but they, they're coming off a fifth Super Bowl, and Tom decided to branch out. He had his TB12 book. He did the Tom versus Time documentary. For the first time ever, he really stepped out of just being an employee of the Patriots and really tried to promote something else that was really strictly about him and not the team. Now, one could argue that he was always treated differently. You know, Bill Belichick's come out and said publicly that every decision they made for 20 years was designed to be what's best for Tom Brady. So it's clear that, and, and you know, Tom Brady had a window you know, a direct line to the owner that he could go to, you know, whenever he wanted to vent or get something off of his chest. And a lot of the coaches actually felt like that Kraft, not intentionally, but by trying to hear Brady out, Kraft obviously is trying to keep this, this band together as long as he could, that Kraft made the relationship harder between Brady and Belichick because it, it sort of almost inadvertently painted Belichick as more of the bad guy in the building. But that said, you know, look, you have Bill Belichick at that time really invested in Jimmy Garoppolo and wanting Garoppolo, you know, to to take over for Brady at some point and for Bill's legacy to be kind of extending the winning beyond whoever's playing quarterback. And then in the middle of it, you have Alex Guerrero, who we mentioned it earlier, and he was becoming, 
his advice was becoming a problem in the building. Obviously, Tom was evangelical about the TB12 methods, and it was at odds a lot of the time with the Patriots doctors. And so a lot of players felt conflicted because they were like, who do we go to? Do we go to the most powerful players guy? Do we go to the team doctors? Like, what do we do here? And then, you know, Bill Belichick ends up banning Alex Guerrero um, in the middle, you know, that, that story breaks in the middle of the season. And, you know, at one point Brady said, I, I don't want to play for Bill anymore. And, you know, all of these things had just sort of colluded and, and sort of were set on fire at the exact moment during that season. And, and then, you, know, you look at look at Brady. He skipped the off season program. All the all the voluntary workouts that next off season. Only NFL quarterback to do that. Seth Wickersham, ESPN senior writer, and of course the author of "It's Better to Be Fear" here on the Rich Eisen Show. I haven't gotten deep into the book yet. Do you cover the Garoppolo stuff? Did Brady want him out? Like, did did he? Is, well, is all those rumors? What did you discover about the? That moment, because clearly, you know, it is also informing what's going on in Green Bay, right? And what Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers might be trying to to pull off, for a lack of a better phrase. And then the fact that Brady now goes to Tampa and wins and has a situation that that he wanted in New England but didn't get, and that Rodgers is trying to attempt, apparently, in Green Bay. I mean, this is, it's not just the past, it's also present, and it's prologue to what we're seeing maybe in the future. There's a lot going on here. What did you discover about yeah. the Garoppolo stuff? Well, I mean, look, Bill was invested in Garoppolo, and, you know, he has a lot of pride. We all know that. And, you know, whenever he walks away from the Patriots, he wants to walk away with that team set up long term, and especially a quarterback. That's the most vital piece. And so he had drafted Garoppolo, and, and, you know, I think at a lot of points might have preferred to turn to him. But Brady played well. Kraft was clearly in Brady's corner. And, you know, he ends up shipping. Garoppolo to San Francisco, you know, right before the trade deadline for a second round pick. I and others reported that that Kraft essentially made it clear that he needed to trade um, Garoppolo and that Brady was, you know, their 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 present and their future. Um, Kraft pushed back at that and denied that, but it was that he was just another thing. And you know, I, I think that Brady knew that Bill was invested in Garoppolo, and even that became another, you know contentious point like what do i got to do here you know like do you what do we got to do together we've won five super bowls and so i think that jimmy garoppolo was definitely you know part of that conflict during that season and if you fast forward and you talk about what's happening now brady's not just a quarterback in tampa bay alex guerrero you know banned from the team plane and the sideline and a lot of the building in new england has his own office in tampa bay and got a super bowl ring you know, what Tom Brady is treated as a different person. He's almost the quarterback and a pseudo-executive and the offensive coordinator in a lot of ways. And at the end of his run in New England, he wanted a little bit more say over personnel. He wanted a little bit more say over game planning. He told Joe Montana, you know, look, I give my opinion, they listen, and then they go do their own thing. And I think that all of that stuff had just run its course by the end, and he was ready to go. So do we, again, um, do we know, did Brady basically say to Kraft he's got to go? And look, the bottom line is, what a decision that made, that that was with the ultimate of respect to Belichick and Garoppolo. I mean, 
the lion's share of the you know they they got they got three more out of it. You know, I mean, yeah. we talked Are about the plot. Did Kraft say to, or did Brady say to Kraft about? Yeah, about like Jimmy did G? he say, right. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, Tom wanted to be there and he wanted an extension. And he did, you know, he, he would love to not have Jimmy nipping at his heels. But Tom Brady doesn't have the, the, the power to order a trade. I know that when I did a story in 2018 about the dynamics in the building, a lot of people somehow took away that Brady had sort of ordered this trade or tried to force it. I, I never reported that. I never heard it. So, but, you know, I, I think if Brady felt like, look, we've won five Super Bowls together. I want to play until I'm 45 years old. Why can't we just fix this up? The owner wants him to be till he's 45 years old. It was Bill who had reservations about it. And, um, and I, I just, I always go back to the end of that Falcons, you know, Super Bowl when they beat the Falcons if they had just signed Tom Brady to a five-year deal right then, so much of the acrimony that transpired over the next couple of years would have been averted. So I guess that that's a question, um, you know, for the moment to put a, a point on it. Seth Wickersham, his book, It's Better to Be Feared, coming out October 12th. It's must-have, must-read, certainly for any football fan of the last, say, quarter century, uh, right here on the Rich Eisen Show. So, um, you know, when you watch The Last Dance, you're just sitting there just shaking your head like, how the hell did this happen? How in the world did they allow it to stop? And what could have been done to stop the train with us now 20 years later seeing what, uh, how tough it is and all of that? Could anything have changed? Like what, 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 what could have changed the dynamic? Certainly we're, we're going to be talking about it so much between now and Sunday night as well with the, with the reunion. Um, could anything have changed? Was it literally a five-year deal, or would that have been? Would that have changed the dynamic? I, I think all these guys would have gotten on each other's nerves, and but I think that they stayed together because they knew for as long as they did, because they knew that you know they needed to to accomplish what they wanted. This was their best chance to win. Um, that said. Again, Tom Brady has wanted, has made it very clear for a long time that he was going to play until he was in his 40s and then 45, and who knows, maybe it's beyond now, and the Patriots just wouldn't commit to it. You know, Bill Belichick thought that Tom Brady was near the end, and in April of 2019, um, you know, that's a couple months after you had seen them together and they had had a great day together um, at the studio for that NFL 100 um, special a special that Bill Belichick won an Emmy for, um, the contract negotiations did not go well, and Tom Brady nearly left camp because he was so frustrated about it in protest. And there was a moment that Tommy Curran noticed of NBC Sports Boston at practice where um, a receiver lined up at a wrong, in the wrong spot, and Brady didn't correct him. He just stared at the coaches. And his body language was very clear. You guys want to run this team? Go ahead. And Brady ends up signing an extension in that training camp that's billed as a two-year extension. And for a second, we're thinking, oh, they got it done. Brady will be in New England until he's 45. But then when you looked at it, it was really just a raise with an out at the end of the year. And right then, Tom Brady knew that it was his last year in New England. And he and his wife, two days after that contract was announced, it was announced that they put their home up for sale. 
Seth, I've, I've got uh, a commercial break coming up. I know I didn't uh, um, ask uh, off air, and this is just something where I'm just going to ask right here. Can I, can I keep you to the end of the hour, or do you got some place you got to go or anything like that, Seth? Let's, let's see here. Let's do it. Okay, let's take a break, and I really appreciate that. And Thanks, uh, Honestly, you could have you easily said I can't, and then I would have asked a couple questions and let you go on the day, but I appreciate it because I have so much more I want to ask you, certainly about the Bill O'Brien nugget that really, that's the one thing that really hit me, kind of like Mangini also wanted to do to Bill at the owners meeting in 2008, <laughs> but that's physical and, and also figurative. Seth Wickersham right here on the Rich Eisen Show. He is the author of It's Better to Be Feared. What a book. What a conversation we're going to have when we come back in just a few minutes. Hey, folks, it's time for the NFL draft, which means for me, I need a good night's sleep because if I don't have one, I'm just not myself. You know the deal. You know exactly how important it is to have quality sleep. It's a game changer for all of us. So sleep number helps me. My sleep number setting is 60. My wife's setting is 70. We both get a great night's sleep because we could adjust the firmness of our mattress on each side. Improve your quality sleep because Sleep Number learns how you sleep thanks to their smart beds and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. If you wouldn't mind, I would love to to role play with you, just real briefly, Gronk. Okay, where I play the role of somebody that I'm kind of familiar with, and you play the role of somebody that you're familiar with. If you don't mind, um, I'm going to play a, a guy who went to Michigan. Um, okay, was a leader in his field. Uh, his name is Tom, and you play the role of a tight end with a Hall of Fame resume. Okay. And the time is going to be, hmm, let's go, hmm, November 1st, 2019. In the future, not too distant future. Are, are, would you mind if we quickly role play this out? All right, we got, one, we got one scene. Okay, here we go, one scene. Here we go. Ready? Uh, Chris, say action when you got it. Okay, ready? All right, guys, ready? All right, guys, ready? Yes. Action. Hey, Rob, it's Tom. How you been? Hey, Tom. Good, man. I've been doing great, man. You're... You're still killing it. You're like 42 years old now. I mean, yeah. I know you miss me, Tom. I know you do. I do. I do, Gronk. I do, man. We. It's not just me. It's it's everybody. We all miss you. And you know things are going great. You know, Bill's a pain in the ass, but it's really, you know, it's really, it's really something that could be better with you. Would you, would you think of coming back and playing with me, Rob? Oh, Tom, I mean, 
You know I miss you too. I miss the guys, but I'm just chilling, man. I'm I'm down in the Bahamas right now, just relaxing. I got I'm sipping my water, and I got I got your electrolytes in it, Tom. So don't worry, don't worry, baby. I got the electrolytes in the water, and I'm sipping on a protein margarita, Tom. So I'm just chilling. Thank you. I love you. I miss you. But there's, I'm just relaxing, homie. There's no chance, Rob. This is Tom. This is Tom. You know, call me when you get to the playoff. <laughs> and scene. Cut. <laughs> Rob, Rob, you're a natural, man. You are a oh. natural. You're a natural. That was this. great. That, dude, that was so funny. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It sounded uh, that was lifelike to me. I thought that was yeah, pretty lifelike to me. That was pretty good. That was good. Okay. That <laughs> <laughs> was July of 2017, so, uh, 2019, uh, the summer of 2019, and uh, he didn't return to New England, but he did return to Tom the next year, and they won a Super Bowl. And now they're returning together to Gillette on Sunday night as Super Bowl champs for the Buccaneers. <laughs> These are all facts. Unbelievable. Back here on the Rich Eisen Show, Terrestrial Radio Network with our Sirius XM family and, of course, streaming live on Peacock and Odyssey uh, for visual and audio pleasure. Um, and joining us still, kind enough to hold through the break, is the author of the remarkable book, again, being published on October the 12th, called It's Better to Be Feared, The New England Patriots Dynasty and the Pursuit of Greatness. The author, Seth Wickersham, still with us here on the show and it's interesting you know we said in the in the previous uh segment in the conversation the nfl 100 all-time team show you know i'm sitting there collinsworth sitting there and belichick sitting there and um we had no idea how this was going to work because we hadn't all done television together right belichick has never done television like this and uh, he's a total natural at it but the first segment we shot the first segment we shot was the the quarterback show which was going to be the last show aired and the first guest we had was tom brady and it was like we were all looking to see how belichick and brady were going to be and i had no idea belichick was totally different with brady on the set than everyone else in retrospect i don't know if it's because it's the coach quarterback relationship or that belichick wasn't comfortable doing television yet it was the first segment he did seth and it was just a me remarkable for all of us to witness yeah, and I put in the book that, you know, at the time, Tom was a little nervous about that. You know, how would it be with Bill? Remember, Tom, you know, still hadn't gotten the contract that he wanted and um, had skipped the off-season program again, this time uh, out of habit rather than protest. But, you know, as the day unfolded, it was it was fun and it was natural. And, you know, they, they shared kind words together at the uh, Patriot Super Bowl party, you know, the, the ring party at, at Robert Kraft's estate. Um, but then August hit, and the contract impasse arrived, and you know Tom realized that his time in New England was done. And so, what uh, have I not asked you about that wasn't in the article that came out on ESPN.com yesterday? I know, and you're laughing because it's probably about ninety-eight percent of the book that wasn't put into this uh, article. But do, do you have something that might be of interest to the fans that uh, well, has yet to be revealed? I mean, there's a lot of things, but I think that. Look, there's there's certain elements of it that are a little bit easier to talk about because um, you know they might be a little buzzworthy or whatever. But I really tried as best I could. I know I repeated this earlier, but I really tried to get inside the key moments that made these men great, like Tom Brady back in Michigan 
I've got a bunch of new stuff, um, especially about his relationship with his counselor, Greg Hardin. I don't know if you've ever met Greg. No. And, but he was his counselor at Michigan, and um, he had a really and – he's, and he's become a confidant throughout Brady's career, but during the, the worst times in Brady's career at Michigan, he would respond very interestingly to Tom. Um, when, when Tom would come in and he'd be whining about where he was buried on the depth chart, or that he was only getting three reps or whatever it was, Harden would kind of laugh at him. And the night that Brady was going to transfer to Cal, he told Coach Carr that he was probably leaving. He goes to see Greg Harden. He says, you know, I think I'm transferring. And Greg Harden starts laughing at him. Like he doesn't say, hey, Tom, please stay. Don't give up. You're better than this. He starts laughing, and he says, you haven't done you know, bleep here anyway. No one's going to care if you leave. You want to leave, go ahead. And you know, things, moments like that really ignited Brady's competitive juices. I've got another moment later on. One of the, the themes I write about in the book is you know, Brady's acclamation to this unbelievable fame and how quickly it arrived and how he was having to process it on the fly. And at one point, 2003, Brady's whining to Greg Hart on the phone about how he can't go to the grocery store, he can't get gas, he can't do this, everyone's following me. And again, you know, Greg Hart and his counselor just starts laughing at him. And he's like, Tom, you're saying you want to be the best, but you don't want to deal with these other things. Like, you're, he said, you're the hot cookie right now. You have a chance to change a kid's life just by picking up the phone and talking to him for five minutes. So this isn't going to last forever. So take advantage of this. As it turns out, Tom's been the hot cookie for 20 years. He sure has. <laughs> I mean, his name's now synonymous with winning, like Lombardi. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, his last name is now synonymous with winning in a way like, you know, be like Brady, Jordan, Lombardi. That's literally what he has turned himself into. And he can still continue to do it. And what an incredible reunion that we're going to see this weekend. What, what do you think happens? I mean, the game before the game, on the field. I mean, is it Brady and Belichick share a moment, Kraft. They play a video for him. Uh, they're going to stop the game when he breaks Breeze's all-time passing record. What do you think, based on all your reporting and knowing all the, the politics and the emotions and the hard feelings and things like that, Seth? Yeah, even if the feelings are still hard, I, I would bet that, you know, they're going to hug before the game. I bet that there's a video tribute. Remember when Peyton Manning came back to Indianapolis as a Denver Bronco, they played this video tribute. He started tearing up during warm-ups. And, you know, the, the best way to get in Tom's, to shake him off of his resolute focus is to, you know, do something unexpected. And, you know, if you kind of appeal to him emotionally mm. and he's remembered about all, reminded about all the good times there, you wonder if, like, that might give New England a little bit of an edge. Dude, so you're saying if they play a video, it's not because it's heartfelt, because it's gamesmanship? Is that literally what you just said, Seth Rickerson? Do you, do you not know these men? <laughs> Have we learned nothing? You know, one of the things I write about in the book, yeah, one of the things I write about in the book is how Bill kind of breaks these other really proud men and coaches. You know, he just he prepares so meticulously, and he sees the game so globally that there are moments that he – has in games and decisions that he makes that end up haunting proud men for the rest of their lives. I mean, the, the best one, obviously, is what he did to Mike Martz in the Super Bowl when they, you know, destroyed Marshall Falk and completely took Mike Martz out of his rhythm. And Mike Shanahan was another one. In, in 2003, 
there was a Monday night game where the Patriots were trailing, and they took an intentional safety, thinking that they'd surrender the points and hoping they'd gain some field position and give Brady a chance to win it. New England ends up winning it, and Tom Brady uh, and Mike Shanahan and Bill Belichick, friends since the '80s, and you know, competitive friends, and with a huge amount of respect for each other. And that game really haunted Mike Shanahan, even as his respect for Bill Belichick grew. Um, Fast forward a couple years, 2007, Spygate breaks. Everyone's talking about it. Roger Goodell, the commissioner, is trying to learn as much as he can about this illegal videotaping practice and how much of an advantage it is in games. He calls coaches around the league, and they're just burying Belichick. They're just saying, you got to take it to this guy. It was the peak of piousness. And then he called Mike Shanahan, who at the time, you know, won two Super Bowls and was an incredibly well-respected coach. And I laugh every time I, I, I think about this. He tells Roger Goodell, I wish I had thought of doing this. And he was disappointed in himself that he didn't think of cheating the way that Bill Belichick was cheating. And it was a real window into how the best of the best think at this level. All right, some quick hitters before we go. You mentioned how, you know, Belichick took Martz out and Marshall Falk out. They think they were videotaped all week and in the red zone. I mean, I've spoken to tons of Rams who won't really, you know, say it publicly all that much because it it doesn't really, you know, uh, suit uh, somebody who's lost to say we lost because we got cheated against. But what did you uncover about that? In this book. Well, I mean, there's there's no evidence that that happened, um, but it doesn't mean that people don't believe it. And you know, that's one of those things that they've had to deal with for all of those years. Obviously, the Boston Herald reported that they taped the walkthrough. Later, had to retract that report. But um, you know, I, I reported with Don Vanetta years ago about the meeting where NFL executives came to New England and they viewed the videos that Ernie Adams and Bill Belichick had of illegal signals and illegal recordings. And Jeff Pash, the NFL's general counsel, ended up destroying the tapes by stomping on them in the room. And then he left them in the room for Robin Glazer, who was the Patriots' uh, lawyer, to clean up the mess. I mean, the acrimony that began with Spygate between the Patriots and the NFL, it really can't be discounted. And obviously, a lot of those themes came into effect if, you know, when Deflategate came around years later. And then, you know, the whole Spygate thing coming from Mangini, uh, going to the Jets and, and saying about, hey, this is what they do, and then they stopped them cold when they were trying to do it against the Jets. Well, they nearly fought, like literally fought. Yeah. Well, so Eric didn't blow the whistle. He told the Patriots to stop doing it. He, he used some colorful language that, again, you can read, but we can't repeat. But he was basically like, I know you guys do this, knock it off. And they refused to do it, and it was the Jets' upper management that blew the whistle on it. It wasn't Eric. And, but, of course, Eric ended up being the fall guy of it because of his relationship with Bill and because of how toxic things had gotten when Eric left to go to the Jets. So fast forward, that was in September of '07. Fast forward to the spring of 2008. At the league meetings, there's a dinner for coaches, and afterwards everyone's kind of mingling around. And Julie Mangini, Eric's wife, ends up rubbing elbows with Belichick, and she says hi to him, and she kind of tries to be friendly. Remember, Belichick read a poem at their wedding. Um, tries to be friendly to, to ease this tension, and Bill blew her off. She goes back and tells, she was upset about this. She tells Eric what happened, and he goes charging across the room at Bill, 
and two head coaches had to hold him back because otherwise they thought he was going to take a swing at him, and he yelled something at Bill that, again, you, you know, we can't say on the radio. <laughs> Seth, this book is absolutely amazing and remarkable, and then once it's out, I'd love to have you back on. You are um, a terrific, a terrific writer, too. I mean, literally a terrific page-turner, and... Um, and uh, I, I, I cannot thank you enough for, for doing this on the show, and uh, I greatly appreciate it. By the way, Calvin Johnson, for our radio audience, is about to come up Hall of Famer when we come back. And, Seth, I just want to finish here on Peacock. Uh, incredible stuff. And Thank you so much for having me. Always great talking to you. You are welcome. Last one for you. With Bill O'Brien in Houston and some of the maneuvers he was making with the more power that he got was such a head-scratcher, including you know what he did, obviously, with DeAndre Hopkins. And then... Uh, it, it's revealed in your book, uh, just to, uh, I guess, paraphrase what was written in the ESPN.com article. Bill O'Brien told a colleague he tried to get fired as the coach of the Texans because he thought he might be able to succeed Belichick. Can we put these two together as an explanation as to why so much of the bizarre moves that were being made by Bill O'Brien was being made by Bill O'Brien? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Bill's a temperamental guy, um, Billy O'Brien. But, yeah, I mean, look, at, at 2007 season, the Crafts didn't know if Bill was going to want to be there and for if so for how long you know there was some a lot of um you know reporting that came out after the fact that you know maybe bill didn't want to be there anymore and you know brady was ready to play for another coach and he thought one night he and Kraft are talking and, and again this is kind of a fanciful plan but they were just kind of spitballing and you know what if Josh McDaniels left to be a head coach, which he was expected to do at the time? Maybe we could hire, you know, Billy O'Brien to come back, and maybe he could succeed Belichick. And, you know, look, this was all never going to happen. But, you know, word got back to Billy O'Brien about it, and he was obviously in a huge power struggle, you know, later on. And I he see. ended up winning that power struggle in Houston, and he later joked to someone that, you know, yeah, I was trying to get fired because – he knew that there was a golden parachute. I for him. see. So the, the trying to get fired was prior to the power that he actually accrued, yeah. is what you're saying. Thank you, Seth Wickersham. I appreciate it. Um, again, when the book comes out, um, look for my call. I'll have you back on to talk about so much of the other stuff. I'll have read the entire thing cover to cover by then. Congratulations on this. Congrats. Thank Huge. you. It's just so terrific. That's Seth Wickersham right here on the Rich Eisen Show, and I thank him. Thank you, Seth, for being our uh, your first stop. Literally could have gone on the two hours. For right? real. Hmm. How great was that, Christopher? Unreal. It's yeah. so, I mean. Yeah, the, I can't wait to finish this book. The it's NFL just... is such a narrative generating machine. I say it all the time. And this might be the most dramatic story that, uh, that could be told about the NFL in the last quarter century and if maybe not the entire time. Because who's hung six banners like that in the Super Bowl era for sure? Calvin Johnson, Hall of Famer, coming up next. 